welcome to episode 40 of Shortbox Summary. I'm your host, George, and we have a returning guest. Uh, it's Carlos. We're going to talk about Spider-Man. Yay, Carlos. Yay, Spider-Man. Carlos, how's it going? It's going good. Always excited to talk Spider-Man. Uh, happy to be here, and I really, really like the comic we're talking about today, so I'm even more excited. I'm excited, too. You've recommended to me a couple issues, and granted, I'm really slow to read them. But uh, you haven't missed yet. So when you recommended this series, I remembered seeing this on the comic book shelves, but just not having either the money or the desire to read it. I got to be honest, Carlos, I'm not the biggest Doc Ock fan. And I especially wasn't a big Doc Ock fan back in 2004 when this book came out. Wow. I, I pretty much remembered him from like the 94 animated cartoon. And I just thought he was a fucking weirdo, to be completely honest. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I knew him from that and a little bit from Ultimate Spider-Man. I think I like the Ultimate Spider-Man version a little bit more. I think I'm a bit more friendly and warm towards that one. But like as far as like mainstream and Marvel comics goes, it didn't have the most interest. But like I said, these were very striking covers. So I remember seeing these. And then you recommended Spider-Man Dr. Octopus year one. And I had to go back and check it out. You haven't let me down yet. And you still haven't let me down. I enjoyed the series quite a bit. That, that makes me happy to hear because I recommended the issues and then you were like, let's do an episode about it. And then I was like, all right, cool. And then you never told me how you felt about it. And, oh, I, was... <laughs> <laughs> and I was literally like, oh man, what if we start the episode and he hates it? <laughs> Just like, oh, thanks for recommending this turd to me. I wish I had the, the issues so I could wipe my butt with them. No, th- this was a good book. Uh, there are parts that I didn't care for, to be completely honest. But that said... I love the art in this. Uh, I just recently had to Google how to pronounce the name because you know how you read a name, but that's not how it's said. Uh, Kari Andrews is the artist on this, and I think he fucking crushed it. I think he really made the book. I think Zeb Wells could get a little slow at times, but like his dialogue was really good. It was just actually like the pacing of the story itself. I, I had problems with I thought it was a little slow at some points, but goddamn, can he write an evil monologue so well? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the dialogue because I feel like he really just killed it on that end with Otto, especially like so good. Like, yeah. I could hear the voice in my head the whole time. Uh, great stuff. Yeah, it really was. In fact, we're actually going to go back even before this issue came out. We're going to go all the way back to Amazing Spider-Man issue number three. This came out July 10th, 1963. This was the the first appearance of Dr. Otto Octavius, uh, known as Doc Ock by people, probably not as friends, but by everyone else. Um, I haven't read a Silver Age issue in such a long time, and you've read every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Okay, cool. How do you feel about Silver Age books? I love the, I mean, we're, you can see me right now. Mm-hmm. Uh and on my wall, I have like reprints of Ditko issues all over the wall. It's not as cool to say that they're reprints, but I have all the Ditko issues on my wall. I've got multiple copies of like the Masterwork collections of the Ditko stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I love the 60s for Marvel. I think it's arguably peak Marvel. It's what started it all. It laid the formulas down. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan personally. personally. Peak, Mar- peak Marvel happens almost 70 years ago 60 years ago that's well, <laughs> saying not, a lot yeah okay maybe it's not 
I don't want to say that because then when you say that, it's like, well, wow, they've really never beat themselves. But right, I right. just like, I just mean like I really love it. I think it's one of my favorite eras for sure. I but, have a hard time going back. I just think each issue is like overwritten. It feels like the writer never trusts the artist. And so they always describe what's happening in the art. And that just takes so long. The one thing I like, I didn't mind it this time, to be completely honest, like going back, just like having some distance from it and like understanding that it was a different time in terms of storytelling. I think that made it a little bit easier for me to uh, to tolerate this time going back. And like there was a, a nice amount of charm, I think, going back and rereading this issue or not even I, actually I can't even say rereading. I don't know if I've ever read this issue before. Because like I said, oh. not the best with Silver Age stuff. Uh, <laughs> Interesting. But uh, I got a little summary if you want me to take you through the uh, the very first appearance of Dr. Aki. Take take me through it. Let's All right. It. Written by Stan Lee, drawn by Steve Ditko. Uh, this issue, like I said, came out July 10th, 1963. Opens with Spider-Man breaking up a bunch of petty crooks, breaking into a safe, and he wishes he had tougher criminals to fight against saying the life he's living right now is just a little too easy. Meanwhile, at a nearby Atomic Research Center, we meet Dr. Otto Octavius, a brilliant scientist working on the effects of radiation. He uses four metal prosthetic arms to handle dangerous materials, but there's a poor reaction that results in him getting blasted and fused with his arms. He's hospitalized for radiation poisoning and slowly deteriorating mentally, though he wasn't the most stable person to begin with. At the Daily Bugle, J. Jonah Jameson asks Peter to get photos of Octavius, something no one has been able to do so far, and he plans to use his alter ego Spider-Man to help him do just that. Once he's at the hospital, though, he sees Doc Ock has taken hostages. Spider-Man tries to free them, but he's quickly overpowered by Ock's menacing arms and is thrown out the window in defeat, and Peter wonders if this is the end of Spider-Man. So dramatic. So dramatic. That was a lot of fun, actually. It really felt like a... These comics feel... Less like they have in common with with TV shows and more like radio serials, like more like radio dramas, if that makes sense. I don't know if you've ever listened to a lot of audio dramas before. I haven't. You I haven't. So. All right. Uh, just like the uh, the way the narration works in these books, it really does feel like almost like an old cartoon, I guess, which really did just feel like it was barely a cartoon at all but like the way like the narrator in like super friends would go meanwhile at the hall of justice you know like just like doing shit like that but they're going way more in depth with like spider-man fidgets he's unable to break free of the grasp of doc ock and like that's the frustrating part for me is like seeing that but then seeing that in the art and then feeling like oh one of these didn't need to be here but we have both of them instead right but uh, that part was really charming where he actually thought about just giving up being spider-man because he was thrown out a window once uh, <laughs> Doc Ock leaves the hospital and takes over the nearby atomic power plant, quickly making it too dangerous for people to go inside to stop him. But the military shows up and locks down the plant regardless. Peter is moping at his defeat, worrying Aunt May. At school that day, Johnny Storm, the human torch of the Fantastic Four, is feeling under the weather and away from the team until his powers come back. He gives a speech about not giving up and telling students that they can face down anything they set their minds to. Peter thanks him before changing into a Spider-Man costume and entering the lab where Doc Ock is, being attacked by all the heavy machinery operated by the evil doctor. Peter races to the chemical lab and creates some concoction to help him against Doc. 
Doc surprises Spidey, beating him with his arms, but manages to use his invention to fuse two of Doc's metal arms together with a chemical reaction. He's struggling against the other two, sure to die if he doesn't time things just right. He blinds Otto with some webbing and knocks him out with one swift punch. He webs up the arms and Otto as well, leaving him for the military police on site. Spider-Man finds the Human Torch, who's recently been cleared to return to hero duty with renewed powers, and thanks him, much to Johnny's confusion. And that's pretty much it, to be honest. That was a pretty pretty quick, breezy issue to run through. You reread this recently. How did, how did you, how does it feel revisiting a six year old comic in in twenty twenty three? I mean, I always have fun revisiting the Ditko stuff. It's again like one of my favorites because uh, I. I might have mentioned this on the last uh, podcast we did, but I one of my first Spider-Man reads were like the newspaper reprints of the Ditko run. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've always kind of had a special place in my heart for it for that reason as well. And also, I just love like the Steve Ditko art style. Yeah, and I love I love how scrawny his Spider-Man is, and. Uh, how dramatic is like Peter can be during these times? Uh, and I've all, that that uh, Peter's loss to Otto here has always like been one that like, like stuck out to me uh, alongside his loss to Electro in issue nine, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, they're on my wall. I, I right. <laughs> yes, I see you turning your head to reference your wall. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I always worry I get the numbers wrong, even though they're right there. But uh, that's it's cool. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so him uh, being like overconfident and being like, ah, nobody can challenge me. I'm, I'm the best as being Spider-Man and then mm-hmm. getting his getting his butt whooped by Doc Ock. That's always stood out to me. And I've always loved um, I mean, it's on the cover and it's in the issue itself. How Ditko draws like the arms holding up Spider-Man like that. Oh, just, so good. Yeah, that's just iconic. And, you know. Yeah, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man also has like a moment in their first like Doc Ock arc where Doc Ock just wipes the floor with Pete and like holds him up. Oh, that's one of my favorite covers actually, right? Because it's a cover with like Peter like with his back against like I guess the back of the cover and like he's just like being hung up by like Doc's arms and he just looks completely wiped, you know, like that. that, Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) bringing back all these memories of, of. 14 15 year old george fuck yeah <laughs> this is this is why we do it carlos yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah that was actually like a fun issue to revisit and like reading it i was like i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna read all these issues i'm gonna go through the entire Ditko lee era i don't know if i'm actually gonna stick to that because we're approaching house of m in this podcast and shit's about to pop off so mm. i hope i have time to actually do that but that was wanted to talk about that issue because the series we're really here to talk about today is Spider-Man, Dr. Octopus, year one. And it's basically, I don't want to say a retelling of that issue, but kind of like a, an expansion of that issue. So we're seeing like the first real confrontation between Spider and, uh, Spider-Man and Doc Ock, but we're also getting some of the motivations and uh, I, I guess like the past history of uh, Dr. Octopus in this mini series this five issue book from 2004 before we even jump into it how do you feel about that is is it like sacrilegious to go back and like explore stuff between the panels from from the greats no it is awesome i okay. love it <laughs> i love it when writers do this uh i i have it in my notes but i'm not really looking at them but another story that does this is uh learning to crawl is this dance lot story with ramon perez i believe did the art 
um, where he goes back to, again, like the early Ditko issues, like Amazing Fantasy 15, 1, 2, 3. I think actually, I think actually Learning the Crawl only goes up to like issue two. Um, and it tells you more stories that happened in between the panels, in between the issues. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always loved that story. And this one is very similar because uh, I think this story does also cover time from before issue three as well. Um, I think the first issue basically largely takes place. Uh, not I, think the, I think the first three issues were, it was like all auto. Like there was, I think yeah. we saw like a quick cameo from Peter Parker, but like every, it was really just like figuring out why is this guy the way he is? Is is he fucked up? Was it his fault? Was it not his fault? Just really trying to examine the character. Yeah, you basically get to see everything from like Amazing 15 to his premiere issue and Amazing number three. Uh, you basically get to see all of that from Doc Ock's point of view and even further back in his childhood. Uh, and I, I love it. I love the way it ties into issue three because mm -hmm. uh, there are things that do tie in very neatly. But then there's also like the final fight, which doesn't really tie in very well <laughs> at all. Right. Um, but uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Like they do the chemicals thing like mm -hmm. that. That stays like he does. Spider-Man does defeat him that way. But uh there's a pretty large difference between the final fight in year one and their second fight in Amazing Spider-Man number three, uh, which I guess we can talk about later. But other than that, though, I think it ties in really nicely. I think it is a great, you know, POV from Doc Ock. And yeah, yeah, big fan of it. Very cool. All right. This book came out uh her first issue came out June 16th, 2004. Before we even jump into the book, I want to talk about the box office because we talked about it, I think, a little bit at the top. This was ostensibly a tie in for Spider Man 2. And so I pulled numbers. I didn't pull like the week this book came out. I pulled just like generically the month of June because I want to talk about some stuff because I think some interesting things happened. You ready to go back and uh, put your shoes on, walk back to uh, June 2004 at the movies? Well, let's do it. All right, number one movie at the box office for the month of June, pulling in $215 million just in that month, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Amazing movie. Yeah, I know J.K. Rowling is a piece of shit now, and in fact, she was probably a piece of shit then, but uh, we didn't know that. I was 14 when this, I wasn't even, I was 13 when that movie came out. And uh, hot damn, what a picture. Uh, I believe it was Alfonso Cuaron who directed it, Spanish surrealist director. Uh, it was just a fun, inventive movie. I like the way they handled time travel. That is still my favorite book. Not that I think about it very often, but number three for me. Uh, number two at the box office, Shrek 2. Oh. Is, you're a little younger than me, right? I'm I'm 32. You are? Uh, I'm 23 right now. You're 23. Okay. Is Shrek important to you? I mean, it's important to everyone. <laughs> okay, there it is. I I used to host pub trivia when I lived in San Francisco, and there was one group of people that would come in, and they were probably like five to seven years younger than me, still old enough to drink, but you know, they were. It felt like a different generation because every week they would come in, and their team name would be a different Shrek pun, <laughs> and I couldn't tell if they were being ironic or not. And I later found out they were, in fact, not being ironic. They just fucking love Shrek that much. Uh, you know what's really funny, actually, <laughs> is that before uh, uh, getting here to my laptop to talk to you, I went to go get dinner with my friends. 
And uh, the conversation was our top 10 movies. And my buddy Diego actually mentioned that one of his top 10 is Shrek too. So, okay. All right. <laughs> Fuck. Shrek is like fascinating. Cause like it was originally supposed to be Chris Farley was supposed to voice Shrek. And I think he recorded like 70% of his lines before he died. And then it became Mike Myers's baby after that. And I think it was like, one of the first animated movies to be nominated for best picture. Like I, there's, there's some weird Oscar fact that I, to be honest, I forgot to look up before this, but something I used to ask at pub trivia because those fuckers would name their team Shrek every week. And they didn't even get it when the answer was Shrek. Uh, it was really frustrating actually, but uh, Shrek, an important movie, just not one I can say I've thought about a lot since. Yeah. Number three, the day after tomorrow. Do you ever see that one? You know, I know the title. I think, hmm, I can't really call it to mind right now, but I know the title for sure. It was a Jake Gyllenhaal disaster movie where basically climate change was like an imminent threat. Like it wasn't like this will destroy our earth. It's like this is going to destroy our earth tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, in fact. And so like I remember there's like one scene where it's like literally him trying to outrun cold as a concept as he's like, in the New York public library trying to like stay warm and stay alive. And he's like literally <laughs> outrunning like a, a wall that's getting more frozen behind him. Wow. That is incredibly relevant because that was basically me in Los Angeles yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. Are you dealing with rain or did, did you actually get snow where you are? Or is that just, actually, in, the, was that yeah. just in the hills? No, we, we legit got snow in LA. Like I, I was so confused. Uh, it was crazy. I used I used to live in Santiago in Chile, and it snowed there exactly one time, and everyone lost their fucking minds. And like having grown up in Maine, I'm like, no, this is so cool. And then I like really thought about the implications of like, wait, it's snowing here. It's not supposed to snow here. This is actually not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Number four at the box office: Dodgeball, a true underdog story. Any idea what this movie is? Mm, I feel like I should. Does it have like Adam Sandler in it or something? Close. It's got Ben Stiller and Vince Vaughn. So the ah. other other big comedians from the time. This movie really important to me because this was the first time I ever got a girl's phone number was at this oh. movie. Yeah. Oh. Saw someone. I used to work at a restaurant. I saw someone cute that I recognized from the restaurant. This movie theater I went to had uh, like an intermission. I remember hmm. going up and talking to her during the intermission and then asking her out and she gave me her phone number and we set up a date. So because of this movie, I had my very first date. Well, good job, yeah. Dodgeball. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Vince Vaughn. Appreciate it. Number number five, we got Garfield, the animated movie. Oh, cool. I know yeah. Garfield. Pulling in a cool 59 million. Wow. That's pretty yeah, good. It's a, a lot for Garfield, right? <laughs> Uh, after that, we had The Chronicles of Riddick, the Vin Diesel sci-fi horror thriller movie. I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't seen them, but I've seen them around. Okay. Uh, Chronicles of Riddick and Pitch Black, pretty fun. Hmm. Pulled in $52 million. The Stepford Wives, a remake of a 1975 movie. This one had like Glenn Close, Bette Midler, Nicole Kidman, all-star cast. Not a great movie. Uh, up next, The Terminal. The Tom Hanks movie where he's from like an Eastern European country. Oh, cool, cool. And on the time of his flight, um, his country is taken over and the United States doesn't recognize the new regime of his country. So he's not allowed to enter the United States. So he's just like stuck in the airport. And it's just him trying to survive living in the airport. 
really gross movie about like how fucking awful bureaucracy is. But Tom Hanks just charming as hell in that movie. Good, good grief. Number nine, Spider-Man 2 pulled in 40 million. And the reason it is number nine is because it came out June 30th. It came out the last day of the month. Oh. So that's why like pulling in 40 million basically in like one day is uh pretty good, especially for 2004. Yeah, that's awesome. And finally, number 10, Fahrenheit 9-11, which was a Michael Moore documentary. And uh, yeah, that, those were the movies. That's what we were seeing. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, Spider-Man 2, obviously a big one. Spider-Man 2, a really big one, man. That is still probably my favorite comic book movie of all time. Nice. And I think that was I think that was like the only palatable Doc Ock to me for a really long time was Alfred Molina. Not just because he's an incredible actor, but I just thought they did a really good job of making him menacing and powerful in a way that I never really appreciated in in the books. Hmm. Valid. Valid. How about I mean, you? Where does where does Spider-Man 2 rank for you on your comic book movie list? Um that's tough. I like in my Spider-Man movie list, it's definitely like in the top five. Um but I, I, I'm kind of one of those weirdos that likes the first Spider-Man movie more. Like, I know it's like, usually Spider-Man 2 is like the preferred one. And it's got like the visual effects Oscar and everything. But uh, man, I just really love that first Spider-Man movie. And the ending with, with MJ and the final swing. Oh, it's just so good. It's really uh, good. Yeah. And I love the, uh, like the, I have a father. His name was Ben Parker. Like, ah, oh, so <laughs> we're not talking about Spider-Man one right now, but <laughs> well, we cover that on short box summary. I'll try to pull you in for the Spider-Man two podcast. I'm sorry. We were, I'm sorry. We covered it without you. This was before I, I knew Carlos loves Spider-Man. I, I apologize. It's okay. It's okay. Well, you know me now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're my spider fucking guy now, Carlos. Absolutely. But uh, but yeah, love Spider-Man 2 and uh, just focusing on it because you were right that like this comic year one does feel like a tie into the movie. Um, and in fact, it's one of three miniseries that were published in 2004 uh, that are called Spider-Man Doc Ock something something. Um, oh, shit. You out researched me. All right. Hit me. Hit me. What were, what were the other two? Yeah, so in addition to Spider-Man Dr. Octopus Year One, there's also Spider-Man Dr. Octopus Negative Exposure and Spider-Man Dr. Octopus Out of Reach. Okay. Um, I haven't read those in a really long time. I didn't revisit them for this, but I do remember liking Negative Exposure. Don't really remember anything about Out of Reach, but I do remember Negative Exposure being pretty pretty solid too. Uh, but Year One is very special. Uh so, yeah, but yeah, so I wanted to point that out because I, f I think, you know, I wasn't really reading comics at the time, but uh, it definitely seems to me like those three series were put out to, you know, do that corporate synergy thing with mm -hmm. uh, Spider-Man 2, the release of that movie. Um, and also, uh, fun fact, at the time uh, or near the time uh, in Ultimate Spider-Man, in the pages of Ultimate Spider-Man, there was a storyline called Hollywood which kind of broke the fourth wall a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do you remember it? I do remember it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, where, where you know, Ultimate Spider-Man and Doc Ock are actually, like, on the set of the movie Spider-Man 2, and they meet Tobey Maguire and Avi Arad and, and Sam Raimi. Um, so, yeah, I thought I would I would 
do shout shout outs to those storylines that were also coming out at the time, probably because of the movie. Um, and yeah, and I think, I mean, there was also a, a Paul Jenkins Spectacular Spider-Man storyline called Countdown, but I don't remember what year that came out. I wrote it down in my notes, but I didn't like double check, but I'm guessing it was around the time. Anyway, yeah, so Spider-Man um, 2. My God, I love being the nerdiest person on the podcast, and you just dance nerdy circles all around me, Carlos. <laughs> God, negative exposure sounds really familiar, but I have never heard of Out of Reach before, so I will have to check that out. Honestly, my favorite part about Marvel Unlimited is um, going back and reading the books I remember seeing on the shelves, but either didn't have the dollars or didn't have the interest in at the time, like I talked about at the top of this show with uh with year one and so it's been like going back and reading like a new mutants miniseries from like 2005 it's like oh fuck yeah i remember those being really cool covers but i had no idea what that book was and going back and rereading it i'm like oh i should have been buying this this was good stuff <laughs> and spider-man dr octopus year one was good stuff i should have been buying it you know, I would have bought it at the time if I was old enough to have my own money and read comics. <laughs> yeah, sure. Are you ready to jump into uh, to issue one? Yes, sir. All right. Issue one came out June 16th, 2004. Cool. Two weeks before Spider-Man 2, the movie. It was written by Zeb Wells, illustrated by Kari Andrews. Uh, colored by Jose Villarubia and uh, lettered by VCs Dave Sharp. That's the last time I'm going to read that creative team because they are there for the whole series. Issue 1 opens with a young Otto Octavius standing in awe of Da Vinci's work, The Vitruvian Man. The uh, guide at the museum calls it, quote, a seamless convergence of art, science, and engineering. At school later, Otto is ridiculed by classmates while practicing a bomb test, hiding under desks. He's bullied by those same kids in gym class later that day uh, who break his glasses. The world goes red and Otto imagines them dying in nuclear fire. At home, he's tended to by his loving mother, but mocked by his violent, drunk father named Torbert, who's, quote, in one of his moods again. He takes his belt off to teach Otto a lesson in being a man, saying he can't afford to replace his glasses every month. The world goes red again. Otto throws chemicals on his father's hand, ending the fight. His father runs off to presumably wash his hands. Years later, as a teenager, Otto returns home with a black eye, but quickly points out to his father that he protected his glasses this time, meaning that he's adapting to his circumstances. Otto is beat up for getting into MIT, a school he attends and describes to his mother uh, as thankfully challenging, but ultimately has the same caste system as his high school. He's still getting beat up by the jocks at MIT. He's caught in a restricted room by a professor who's ready to read him the riot act, but quickly realizes his genius when he solves mathematical proofs that left the scientists there stumped. Otto is invited into this cabal of elite scientists and quickly takes the group over, asserting a dominance he'd never known before. A young boy gets bullied and has his glasses knocked off. Otto tries to empathize with him, saying the bullies were horrible little monkeys, and a young Peter Parker even finds that is going too far. Otto gets a phone call in the lab. His father has passed away during a machinery accident at work. The eulogy is heavy, and Otto has such a strange mixture of both disdain for his father and appreciation for making him see things in a certain light. Otto accepts a role with the Department of Energy on the condition that his mother is cared for. He looks out on the cityscape, and the world goes red once again under a mushroom cloud. First off, the art in this series is fucking amazing. Like, you've read a lot of Spider-Man. It... It felt Marcos Martin-esque. Like, it was just, like, really fun. 
stylized proportions, really good coloring. Uh, Jose Villarubia like really fucking killed it. I thought on the colors, especially when like it flashes red. And I thought the red was like a really good allusion to Amazing Spider-Man 3 because like in the panel where he like really gets fucked up by the radiation, the background is like all red. Like everything is colored red in the background. It feels like they just kind of took that panel and really ran with it. But dude, as far as intros go, I thought this was pretty stellar. What did you think? Yeah, I think it's super stellar. I love this issue. I'm glad you mentioned the art. I want to make sure to highlight that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kari, right? That's how you pronounce it. Uh, Kari Andrews. um, I mean, he's part of the reason that I recommended this series uh, to start with, because I saw that his name was on the upcoming issues of Amazing Spider-Man in May. And I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh, it's a year one reunion. Uh, And I got really excited. And yeah, his art is incredible here. I like that you mentioned the Marcos Martin vibes because they have this kind of like old school and kind of like scrawny looking vibes for some mm-hmm. of their characters. And it really, for me, I love that because it, it meshes well again with the Ditko art, uh, with the Martin art. And I love both of those. And, you know, shout out to Ramon Perez from Learning to Crawl as well, I guess, because I think all those art styles like work really well together. Um so yeah, the art goes crazy. I love um, the focus on the radiation here. I think that's really cool. Um, the the whole, how it's like a really big theme mm-hmm. um, because that was a huge thing in the, in the 60s with Marvel, like everything was radiation. Um, so I feel like it fits like not only the Spider-Man stuff, but the whole Marvel vibe really well. Right. Um, I think that's really cool. Yeah, I have so many notes on this issue. I don't want to go too nerd. Oh, um, please, ner- nerd away. I've, I've got more nerd stuff to drop in if it would make you feel more comfortable. Yeah, yeah. let's space it out. You go, you go next, and then I'll come back. <laughs> I think this comic is really interesting because at points it feels like a very contemporary thing. Like, it feels like a modern-day thing. But the complete fear of, like, the atomic age and everyone else except for Otto, I found really striking because that is, like, such, like, a Cold War relic. And who knows? Like, shit's getting really weird in Ukraine right now. I'm not saying you shouldn't be scared of nuclear bombs right now, but at least for most of my adult life, I wasn't very scared of an atomic bomb being dropped. My father, who was born in 1950 and, um, I guess would have been 13 or so when like amazing Spider-Man three came out, he was probably way more scared. Like he was probably ducking under desk. Like that would fucking do anything, you know, (laughs) like Otto even has one moment where he's just like, uh, well, like, shouldn't we be worried about radiation too? And the teacher was like, listen, dumb fuck. If we're close enough to a blast, radiation is going to be the least of our worries. Like, I, I thought that scene was really strange. And the way uh, Kari Andrews, like, in particular, drew the teacher, she looked like a fucking maniac. Like, she had, like, these huge bulging eyes, and she just looked like a monster. And it just showed that, like, Oct- like Otto just, like, saw everything through, like, the lens of, like, a, a just a terrified child. Like, he was just petrified as a young boy. And there was one detail I really liked when he's getting bullied by those kids, and then he's being bullied in gym class. He did it so clever where, like, he, shoot, he showed the gym teacher who, like, wasn't facing Otto. So it was just, like, there was an adult there, but just, like, could not have been bothered to be paying attention to this fucking bullying that was happening right behind me. I'm just like, oh, fuck, that was, like, really good. That's a really good detail. Kari, good job, man. Yeah, wow. I, that's a great detail to point out. Uh, I think Kari Andrews, again, does an incredible job. And I really love 
his characters and i think he does a great job at selling like the creepier more horrific aspects of this uh series because there is some stuff that gets kind of unsettling um and uh you see bits of it here with the red like you mentioned with all the radiation panels and scenes uh i also just love how he does the glasses on auto the glasses oh so good so good yeah so so good um uh speaking of which uh i guess i wanted to touch on peter like the bump into peter um which is great because in that very first panel where you see peter the word uh bour bourgeoisie what'd you say uh, bourgeois bourgeoisie yeah the bourgeois uh that word appears right above peter's head in that first issue kind of teasing something that would be talked about later on mm -hmm. um and I love this first appearance of Peter here because I think the the panels allude to this being the same day that Peter gets bit by the spider. Because mm -hmm. uh, if you look uh, at, on the page, there's these like uh, scientific contraptions that look kind of circular. And those look like pretty much exactly like the ones that the spider kind of like went yeah, down. Yeah, trapes down from, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so... Love that. I love seeing this issue as Doc Ock's Amazing Fantasy 15, right? It's like his origin issue. And I think his dad dying and teaching him a lesson in this issue is very much like a parallel to Peter learning a lesson from Uncle Ben. Um, and it's really interesting in that scene at the at the funeral with the priest where Otto's like, he taught me nothing but the hateful ignorance of the lower class. Like, that's his great power, great responsibility. <laughs> Oh fuck, dude, that's really good. I didn't even think about the parallels between uh, Torbert and and Uncle Ben, but you're right. Like, damn, that uh, look at look at you, Carlos. This is this is why you're the best. This is why I bring you in for Spider Man. <laughs> yeah, I mean that took like I was just like, oh, like yeah, like this is his father's figure dying in the same issue where Peter presumably gets bit by a spider. I thought that was really cool. Uh, so wanted to touch on that. And then I guess the last thing to touch on, um, well, there's more we can touch on as we kind of space it out. But the, the, the one thing I really feel like we should touch on is the Vitruvian man, uh, like visual and, and concept, because it, it, it's the thing that they start the story with and it comes back a, a couple times later on. Um, and, uh, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. I, it, like, on that second page they kind of compare like da vinci to otto like saying that like you know uh, only once in a generation yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like once every 500 mind. years or whatever yeah. yeah you got a mind like his and you can study it for years and whatnot um so there's that comparison to da vinci but i think the vitruvian man itself and how it's like the intersection of science and man and everything i think that's like super meaningful and i have like an interpretation but i might save that for later save um, it save it for issue five because that yeah. that does that does come back absolutely yeah, yeah yeah so yeah i think that's for now all i want to say about this issue but yeah good start uh fuck, really good start um have you read side note have you read a book called spider-man rain yeah yes okay cool that was my first introduction to uh, to kari andrews and damn it i thought i was going to recommend you a spider-man book you hadn't read yet but of fucking of course of course you read it. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah i was yeah i no i've read rain of course <laughs> okay all, all right i'm sorry, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> didn't, didn't, didn't mean didn't mean to call your your spider credentials into spider <laughs> question i'm sorry <laughs> sorry about that i didn't mean to sound like that all good all good <laughs> all right you ready to jump into uh, issue two Yes, let's do it. All right. Issue two came out June 30th, 2004, just two weeks after 
this is uh this has like such an incredible scene i'm very excited to get to it uh opens with mechanical arms that operate in a radiated room and a reactor goes critical a dozen scientists freak out at the implications except for Otto, who stares at its beauty Later, Otto verbally spars with a department therapist who urges him to take a break and is quite literally giving him the line he needs to hear to okay him to get back to work. The world goes red, but Otto concedes and takes a break. While having dinner with his guilt-inducing mother, he sees a news report of a new hero called Spider-Man. Reinvigorated with a new vision of the future, Otto gives a speech that nets him Defense Department budget. He says, an age where the human body's frailties and weaknesses will be overcome by the ingenuity of our minds. Already civilians, civilians modify their bodies, improve them, and in doing so confound conventional law enforcement. They give us a glimpse, gentlemen, a glimpse of the next arms race, a race that the Soviets may already be winning. I am charged with probing the atom and its fruit, radiation, but my mortal coil prevents me from truly touching its power. Let us not accept nature's boundary. Let us envision a man capable of wooing the atom and become that man. The atom holds more secrets, gentlemen, I assure you. Let us make sure we are the first to discover them, or shall we drag our feet as we did with the hydrogen bomb? Shall our great military wither on the ground as beings battle in the skies as very gods? Now, in the background of him delivering this, speech there's one military dude is like apologizing to a general being like yeah they told us he was nut bar sorry man didn't mean to drag you out for this and then like the general's just like fuck he's right what does he want what does he need let's let's just get it done intense shit Otto tries to make a new interface for his mechanical arms. He opens up to his co-worker, a kind young woman named Dr. Anders, and the two have a nearly romantic moment before Otto runs home, rejecting her. While home, he's painting a portrait of Anders, but when his mom sees it, she goes ballistic, saying he's dirty and impure and going to leave her all alone. Back at the lab, he formally rejects Anders and has her transferred to another department. Gutted with his decision, he returns home early and catches his mother coming home from a date, and he freaks the fuck out on her. At work, he uses his new streamlined arms to perform a demonstration for his peers that goes wrong just like before, but this time, he is bathed in radiation. Big issue. Big issue. Short description, but big issue. I just want to go back. I just want to talk about that that speech he gives. I think it's fucking beautifully done. He is sitting at a podium looks absolutely insane his arm is up he's it's almost like hitler-esque doing like the the heil thing like he's just like such like a he looks like a conductor right like he's conducting the audience like like a symphony almost and then like the page itself is splashed like these panels of silhouettes of really familiar characters we see like a silhouette of green goblin and and the vulture and electro and it's just like this was such a common thing especially in the early 2000s but just like sort of getting a new perspective of these characters, not just as like people in pajamas who could do cool shit, but like as walking WMDs. And so reframing silver age context stories by by saying like, no, this is the next arms race was par for the course of the time. But I think it's done really effectively here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really, really good issue. Really good scene. You're talking about, I really like how in that scene, the, the military, military guy is won over because he's looking at a picture of the hulk which yeah you know, is, <laughs> yeah which is like another big radiation marvel 60s character that dealt with the, the military so i really like how they tied that into the wider marvel universe and i love how this whole thing 
just ties into like this Renaissance era that Otto sees, you know. Um, uh, I also just one of my favorite things in this issue is uh, how Otto gets the idea for his arms from noticing the web shooter on Spider-Man. Uh, I just thought that was so cool, so clever, such a nice touch, uh, because a lot of times you get these stories where like people like don't realize that spider-man's webs are like mechanical like mm. they think it's coming out of him but of course like Otto would notice right away and be like oh he's using machines cyborg like i have to do that i have right. to evolve you know and i think that also kind of goes into the whole you know Vitru vitruvian man da vinci thing because it was peter that came up with the idea first like maybe he's the da vinci i think maybe is, is something that is kind of implied there um um and then i don't know if i heard you talk about it but there's another scene in this issue i really really love please uh, yeah and it's the scene with um mary alice and the x-ray um the the x-ray page where she approaches him and you see their skeletons and she like touches him and you see that yeah that was that was the moment i was alluding to where like he ran away sorry i thought her name was dr anders right mary alice anders oh that might be her last name okay. yeah Oops, I didn't take note of her last name. <laughs> oh, all good, all good, all good. Uh, no, absolutely beautiful. And I feel like that was like ripped off from in in like an ad where it's just like, ah, oh, fuck, what was it called? I, they they filmed it at the Promenade in in Santa Monica, and they had like a giant X-ray basically, and it was just like two people coming together, and you could just like see their skeletons. And then they would reveal themselves and be like, oh, he's black. She's white. Oh, he's a dude. He's a dude. They still love each other. You know, like it was just like showing that like love is is nothing like it's just it's just between people. It's, it's not defined by any other metric. Like it's just like it's the humanity of it that's important. And I feel like that someone just read this fucking comic. It was just like, oh, this is really cool because <laughs> like that scene is beautifully shot. Kari Andrews kills it on that page where it's just like showing them from like the shoulders down, basically as skeletons behind this x-ray device and then like seeing their faces together. Like it's, it's really well done. Yeah, I love how intimate it is. And I love how it's intimate through science. And I think that also comes back in a in, a, in an issue like four. Um, and so that scene really stood out to me. Um, and then I think uh, the other thing I have written here is the dialogue at the very end where, you know, the blast goes off um, and Otto goes at two, like at two Brutus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just um, feel, feeling betrayed because like it really seemed like he has a father, Torbert, who like he showed affection towards kind of like during the eulogy, like thanks for showing me how I should see the world. But like he still like clearly hates his father. But like the way his father sort of presented the world was sh what shaped Otto's viewpoint and like why he's kind of fucked up, to be frank. And uh, yeah, I got like him like basically like embracing the atomic age as like his actual parent you know mm. like he, he was so in love with the idea of of atoms and their possibility and like everything they could unleash and for him to be betrayed by it was um su such a great moment and him of course being like kind of an elitist douche about it saying a2 <laughs> like yeah. really good really good stuff yeah um and yeah, and it kind of also, you know, kind of touches on this like relationship that Otto has with science that I kind of forgot to mention in the first issue, but like throughout it, he like, he like talks, he talks to the machinery, he talks to the, to his experiments, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like in the first issue, like there's this like 
flashback where like the dad kind of like runs into his little like chemicals and they hurt him and the dad walks out of the room and Otto's like thank you like he thanks like the science for saving him in that moment and then when his dad dies he thanks again like the machinery for you know killing his dad I guess um yeah so his dad was even complaining it's just like they keep telling us to like use these new machines because it's supposed to improve our efficiency or whatever it's so fucking confusing i don't know what i'm doing you know like he, he was like really just like why can't we do things the old way and that was just like so diametrically opposed to like otto's worldview yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. uh but then in this issue he gets betrayed by the very thing he loves and mm-hmm. it blows up in his face so i that that line stood out to me yeah so yeah all right you ready to jump into issue three Yes, sir. All right. This one had a bit of a delay, actually. Uh, last issue came out June 30th, 2004. This one didn't come out until August 18th, 2008. Four. Otto relived the fight he had with his mother, saying the same awful things to her about her date that she said to him about his painting. When he regains consciousness, he's in a hospital bed and immediately attacks a doctor who's working on him with his metallic arms. A spokesperson outside downplays the severity of the event, but a young Peter Parker taking photos looks skeptical. From a cell, Otto regains consciousness fully and begins lashing out. The mechanical controls of the arms are destroyed, but he can still control them mentally. The scientists want to remove the arms from Otto, but they're getting nothing from him. The science of it is too advanced for anyone else to understand. Dr. Mary Alice Anders is brought in because she was close to him, but he goes full incel in their convo and said, quote, what a childhood you must have had to become attached to Otto Octavius. Brutal stuff. While trying to get answers and avenge his lost men, an army general pisses off Otto too much. He escapes from his cell. He says to the general, you've been caught unaware, sleeping through the dawn of a new age. In this age, intellect is power. Physical might is no longer solely the gift of nature. In my world, you are deaf and dumb. Your overdeveloped physicality, nothing more than a gangrenous limb. The Vitruvian man has come, general, and his octolimb world, you are quadriplegic. He attacks a general, about to kill him, when Spider-Man comes crashing through a window. At first, he's amazed to see him, thinking they're the same, trying to scientifically deduce how Spider-Man is doing these incredible things, saying they're brothers cut from the same cloth. When Spider-Man tells him to shut up and punches him in the face, Otto loses it. The world goes red once more, and he proceeds to beat the absolute fuck out of Spider-Man. Anders comes back and tries to stop him. With his metallic arms around her neck, he's about to kill her, but sees her crying. And touched by how much he meant to her, he lets her go. Otto leaves the facility, but had a spider tracker tagged on his shoulder. So this is basically the first meeting of spider-man and doc ock right like from from amazing spider-man number three just in way more detail and uh, frankly way more fucking visceral like he really gave it to spidey (laughs) in in that fight yeah and spidey gave him that that punch which is uh which was a, a big moment i think for Otto, where he's like oh man like that hurt him i feel you know well, because he's only ever been physically abused by by people who didn't understand him, right? Like, it was the bullies, it was his father, and so he'd always been physically hurt by people who weren't 
in his mind, smart enough to like really interact with him on his level. And so he thought he saw in, in Spider-Man an equal, right? Like someone scientific, someone atomic, someone evolved in a, in a new way. And then to have him just go do something as stupid as punching him. That's when he's like, what the fuck? Like, he's just completely beside himself. He's like, I thought you were different. I thought you were like me. You're just like the rest of them. Like, it was such like a, a heartbreaking moment for, for Otto. I think we're going to talk about that at the end of the series. I got a question for you. Oh, cool. But uh, any, any more thoughts on, on issue three? Uh, just that it's a really cool issue. I mean, the cover is horrifying. Like the cover to this issue is like, uh, unsettling, <laughs> you know? Um, so right out of the, right out the gate, it's like already putting you in that mood. And then mm-hmm. I love how they did, spider-man like entering through the window and oh that was a batman moment like i know it's a spider-man comic but that was such a batman moment where it's just like oh here's this like terrifying figure coming in in a way that we just weren't expecting right and uh it's right out of amazing spider-man number three like right like even the dialogue when he comes in through the window he says like hold it doc how about picking on someone who can fight you back like Mm -hmm. that's that's straight out of Amazing Spider-Man number three. Yeah. You're, uh, oh, hot damn. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but, uh, but it just feels so much more cinematic and like impactful here. I was I thought that was a really cool, cool way to tie in. Um, uh, again, we got some Vitruvian Man references. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also we get um, this, like bandaged up Otto looking super creepy. I just wanted to shout out uh, Kat, Carrie Andrews on that uh because he looks super creepy the arms are super creepy uh and i think my favorite line in the issue is when otto's like perhaps i am done humming beethoven and then he just starts going off oh fuck yeah fuck yeah this scene where he was talking about like how he lost the mechanical control of his arms and so he had to like start to mentally control them and like he started like singing uh for elise Right. Like that was that was a song that he referenced and just being like, oh, thank God he was so smart to sing this classical song that calmed down his new mechanical arms. And I I do love, too, that, like, they want to remove the arms from him, but like literally no one understands how the fuck he did it except for him. So he's just like they're like, please tell us how to quote unquote fix you, but really like neuter you. Right. Like because these are newly irradiated arms like this is him touching the thing that he was in love with right like there's the potential in 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 the power of of the atom it's like of course he's not going to give that shit up right like this is respectfully this this is his addiction at this point right like this is like the thing he's wanted to understand the most and he finally is like literally quite literally attached to it right like this is the closest he could get to the thing he's always coveted and uh, he has that, uh, I guess, would you call it a Freudian slip, Freudian slip, where where he reveals to Spidey that, like, he can feel things through the arms and Spidey remembers that later. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. Uh, <laughs> really great moment and a, a great callback to Amazing Spider-Man number three when that happens. Um, fuck, the series is good. I do think it reads a little slow plot wise, but the art is absolutely incredible. And And like I mentioned earlier, the dialogue, like I put way more dialogue blurbs into this like normally when i do it for the podcast it's honestly like a a plot point but here i just i feel like the dialogue is so well written and i can't believe it's like zeb wells wrote this and he's currently writing amazing spider-man right yes uh yeah uh zeb wells this is super early in his career like i think at this point 
he had only written like some tangled web spider-man issues mm -hmm. um and uh and then he comes out swinging with this one which is a favorite of mine of his work to this day um and yeah now he's writing amazing spider-man and he's got another story coming up in may with carrie andrews that i'm excited for because i mean i mean just read this story how could you not be excited like <laughs> um, also is that wells a school because he's married to uh one of my celebrity crushes heidi gardner from oh. snl oh yeah um one, one yeah. of the one of the funniest women on tv so yeah um zeb wells is crushing it all around yeah also it's weird to me that he's been writing spider-man off and on for 19 years at this point which is just wild to say yeah i mean yeah there's been some gaps for sure sure uh, obviously yeah 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 but still to return to a character 19 years after i don't know if this is his first spider-man story so i shouldn't speak out of turn maybe he wrote those uh tangled web stuff earlier i can't remember but yeah. um God, it's, it's just wild to see. Also, I'm glad he got another bite at the apple because he was part of the um, part of the brain trust. I was working on Spidey for Brand New Day, right? Yeah, he went from Tangled Web. His first Spider-Man comic ever was like this Frogman comic. Um, and uh, I got that one signed by him. Oh, nice. Uh, that was cool. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, so he started there. He did this. And then I think... He didn't do any Spider-Man for a while. And then he was part of the brand new day team, told some cool stories there. And then he did some avenging Spider-Man. Right, right, right. Then I think he did Spider-Ham, uh, like around the late 2010s, I want to say. And now he's on, he's the main guy at Amazing Spider-Man. So he's had quite the Spider-Man journey. He has lots of good Spider-Man stories. And yeah. Cool. Yeah. You you rec I've read every book you've recommended me so far. You recommended Amazing Spider-Man 19. Uh the book is shipping twice a month. So I was able to catch up on everything on Marvel Unlimited just because I didn't have my collection with me. I was I was indisposed for a week. Uh caught up there and I'm like digging through my current short boxes to like find the remaining issues because goddamn did that story get real good real fast. So I'm excited to catch up on the main Spidey title. Sweet. That said, well, still got a lot of gas in the tank after all these years. Yeah, he's he, he feels young at heart. <laughs> <laughs> he sure does. <sighs> all right. Issue four. There was another delay before issue four. Issue four came out November 3rd, 2004, a couple months after issue three. Otto arrogantly attacks more soldiers, talking about himself as two people, the man he used to be and the man he is now, transcended. He finds the Spider Tracer and is now confident he and Spider-Man are not alike. Spider-Man recovers from his fight and insists on going after Octavius. The military presence there says not to worry, he'll die of radiation poisoning soon, but that's not good enough for Spidey. Otto tries to blend into the world. He takes a trench coat from a homeless man to conceal his arms, but based on his interactions with the general population, he simply doesn't belong with normal people, reacting to them all violently. He manages to reverse engineer the spider tracer and goes to a mob boss or something like a mob boss and places an order for something that will take three days. After he leaves, he begins to unravel, losing his mind to radiation poisoning. The world goes red. He watches TV and sees protesters outside of a nuclear power plant, and he sits back with boxes that have hundreds of green energy pins in the shape of Peter's spider tracer. 
All right. I think I saw you raise your hand during one point. So hit me up. I I'm, I know you know who he approached. I did not know who he approached. So who who did he go to for that spider tracer order he placed? So I'm pretty sure that's the Tinkerer uh, who is introduced in Amazing Spider-Man number two um, alongside the Vulture, which we see the silhouette of in the previous year one issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just another cool way to tie it into those early Ditko issues. Um, although the Spider Tracer plot, there was no Spider Tracer in Amazing Spider-Man number three. Um so that's a that's a, I guess you could say a big difference. But he, uh, had, he did, okay, can we go going back to Amazing Spider-Man number three for just a second? He had like a like a hologram projector type thing, which like I didn't know about personally. The Where spider like, signal? The spider signal, yeah. Was that just like a, a fucking like piece of glass over a flashlight that he would just like leave places? What what was that? No, so he's got like a utility belt. And there's like a part of his utility belt that like shoots a light and it's his logo. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Peter. <laughs> All right. I don't remember that from Ultimate Spider-Man. And I'll be honest, like like I said, I, I struggle with the Silver Age stuff. For all intents and purposes, I generally pretend that Ultimate Spider-Man is canon young Peter Parker. And I know that's like obviously not super fitting because, man, when the Ultimates show up, that sure ain't the Captain America I know like an ultimate war and stuff. I get that. But like, I generally pretend that that is just Peter Parker's young adventures. Um, but yeah, I, I don't remember the spider signal for, from, from the Bendis run. <laughs> well, I mean, that's fair though. I think a lot of people like ultimate Spider-Man is their teenage Spidey. So that's totally fair. Um, but man, yeah, you got to remember the spider signal. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems so like extra for him. Like it just, so he can only project it from his belt. He doesn't like leave it behind. Like it's just like projecting the spider signal from his fucking crotch while he's already there being, <laughs> being ostensibly being his own spider signal. Cause he's like a six foot two yoked dude dressed like a <laughs> spider. Like, like that's what it is. All right. Well, he's not that yoked, but <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, he's still in high school. He's still in high school. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, he does kind of have to stand there. <laughs> so <laughs> that is funny. That is funny to think about for sure. <laughs> Uh, but uh, but yeah, issue four, good issue. Um, I like how this ties into Amazing Spider-Man three with um, like Peter getting up from losing the fight and saying he beat me. Like that transitions pretty pretty nicely into his inner monologue in issue three, where he gets up and he's like, he beat me. Like it's like a, a great little transition there. You can really read these like side by side nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my absolute favorite thing in this issue did i write it down i don't know if i even wrote it down but i absolutely love it oh yes i did okay it's the scene where uh otto is uh well the way that they establish the scene for again this is the scene that i think really parallels that like really intimate science scene with mary alice in issue two like in issue two we have that like x-ray scene that's like really intimate science but then here we have this scene where Otto is naked in his like building, whatever, like studying the spider tracer. And, and he's saying all this stuff about like, I'm going to get to know you. You're unfurled before me like a flower, like very intimate talk. Um, and I just found that scene really striking and interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, I just thought it was super, super fascinating to to look at. And uh yeah, yeah. What did you think of that scene? 
I was a little confused by that scene. I did think it was like beautifully done, like the way it started, like super far off from like the uh, the apartment or whatever he was in, and then it like slowly punched in with each successive panel. But I couldn't tell. Did he take his arms off? Oh my god! Because I, I didn't see like the shadow of them, but then in like a later shot, it he's like wearing them. But like the way the lighting is in one in like the panels, like it almost looks like he's talking to his legs, and that was like what I thought at first, and then realized he was talking to his talking to the spider tracker because like it is just like you were right like the the vitruvian man turns out as a pretty fucking key point to this whole story right talking about the the mixture of of art science and engineering like the uh the convergence of those three ideas and so it looked like he almost took the legs off and but then in a later panel it looked like he had them on because i didn't see like the because it was a silhouette of his naked body but i didn't see like the arms like silhouette Right, and so I was I was a little confused when I first read that, but I think the uh, the art and later panels cleared it up. Yeah, that's fair. I actually don't remember the arms in that scene very much, but I just thought that was so interesting and like such a like meaningful part. How he's like, how he feels that he can get to know someone entirely through their work, mm-hmm. um, like how he thinks they reveal themselves through the through the science, and I think that's really interesting because I think. Like with art, you do that too. Like you feel like you get you can know a writer through their work or an artist through their work. Well, that uh, Carlos, Carlos, you work in the film industry, right? Yeah. Okay, so like, do you subscribe to like auteur theory that like every, every director, I, I, not every director, but like a lot of like a Wes Anderson movie, like you don't need to tell me Wes Anderson directed this movie if I get to like if I get to see a still from a movie, I can tell you if Wes Anderson directed it or not. You know, like Tim Burton, the same thing, right? Yeah. Um, well, I feel like I'd have to make sure I know like the details of auteur theory, but I do believe that, you know, it's unavoidable to put yourself in your work. Like I think everyone puts themselves at least a little bit in their work. So, mm-hmm. so I do believe that for sure. Yeah. Um, like look at this podcast. This is a nerdy ass podcast. Cause we're fucking nerdy ass people. Look at us, Carlos. <laughs> who'd have thought look look at us now (laughs) yeah yeah so so yeah i just thought that was super interesting i thought it goes back to the vitruvian man thing i thought it can be applied to other stuff and i just well that it's it's interesting to expand on that just like a little bit like is he obsessed with peter like not peter spider-man i guess is he obsessed with spider-man or is he obsessed with like what Spider-Man means and like what Spider-Man does. Like, does he give a shit about the person or just like the potential of him? I think, uh, you know, that can be said. So getting like deep and interesting is that like, I feel like, you know, you could question a lot of Spider-Man fans about that too. Like, what what do you like about Spider-Man? Is it this, is it that? Like, uh, there's this really interesting line that uh, is in the issue where he's, when he's talking to the tinkerer, and the tinker is like, uh, why do you why do you hate the wall crawler? And Otto says, because I know him, right? Yeah, yeah. And and then he says like uh, he says, stripped of his mystery and pretense, Spider Man's simplicity is contemptible. Contemptible, through his foolishness, I have come to understand and despise him. And I just thought that was really fascinating because the mystery of Spider Man. There is a side of Spider-Man's appeal that has to do with, like, how does he feel behind the mask? Like, who is this guy behind the mask, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I've talked to some of my friends about like the Spider-Man mask as like this Mona Lisa where if the if the if the lenses aren't like moving like in the MCU, it can be really up to interpretation, like how he's feeling like in a scene or something. Right. Um, so there is that mystery appeal of the character. But Spider-Man is also like he can be foolish. He's a kid. He makes a bunch of jokes. Uh, he has he comes from working class roots again etc like uh so i just thought there was a lot of meaning in, in those lines now what does it mean we could talk about that later we can you know interpret it but i just thought that's really fascinating i don't know i saw so that that was the the standout part of this issue for me is the studying the spider tracer getting to know peter through his work and then the scene with the tinker where he explains like why he hates spider-man because he knows him anyway yeah. no, that's really really good shout i feel like a bad host now for not including that <laughs> but um i invited the right person on to talk about it so not that bad of a host you hear, <laughs> you hear that listeners you're I, did, I did something right <laughs> are you ready to jump into issue five yes sir let's All do right. it uh issue five came out a month after the last one came out december 8th 2004 Meeting with the power plant protesters, Otto begins handing out his modified spider tracers. Once inside, Otto takes over the plant in a way that feels like it's straight out of a horror movie before he has a moment with the reactor that he's endangering. Uh, before I even jump into that, there's one really amazing scene that is like directly ripped out from Amazing Spider-Man 3, where like it's, it's like the the arms just look like pipes, right? Like in, in the in the room. And that's like just such a direct callback to like him commenting in Amazing Spider-Man 3. It's just like, these people don't even know what they're doing. Like they, they don't know an extra pipe if it... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So a security yeah. guard just like blows past him and he's just like hand, standing up. It's also really weird to me because like he's kind of drawn a little, little, little chubby in Amazing Spider-Man 3. And man, he's exhibiting just a lot of core strength to keep his legs straight <laughs> as he's dangled in the air thanks to his mechanical arms and as also a slightly chubby person fuck i don't i can't do that anymore like maybe maybe 25 year old chubby george could do it but 32 year old chubby george nah man well that, hey that ain't me anymore he has mechanical arms you know yeah, it's, I mean, uh, it's it's a it's a science fiction book yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right i got a i got a quote for you when he's uh having a moment with the reactor he says, I have felt both parental love and hate. And to be truthful, the one has shaped me just as much as the other. In the great design, the destroyer leaves as great a mark as the builder. It is the highest purpose to influence another's life. In this godless world, it is the only proof that we exist. Together, we will touch millions. And the seed of those millions will spread. And we will be felt for generations. But first, I will see your face, the face of my God, and I will grant you freedom. Poetic shit. Terrifying shit. I don't like anyone who's like that much of a fanatic, especially about nuclear power. That kind of freaks me out on a on a personal level. Uh, but goddamn, can Zeb Wells, like I said earlier, dude can like really write some dialogue. He can write it really well. Yeah, 100%. That's a great, that's a great one to quote. Spider-Man is pleading with the authorities on scene to go take on Ock. Uh, they try to talk him out of it, being like, dude, you almost fucking died last time. Like, you sure you want to do this again? When Doc appears and ostensibly challenges Peter to a dual beautiful panel where he, like, rises between, like, the two... Uh, I don't think those are the reactors. I think those are, like, the smokestacks. And, like, I think the the 
material that's coming out of them that looks like smog is actually just water that's like cooling down the reactor to my knowledge of nuclear reactors which gotta be honest is mostly based on the simpsons um <laughs> but it, yeah it looks like he's challenging him but like a beautiful shot of him like rising between those two two structures uh and then he activates the spider tracers that were handed out to protesters which all trigger his spider sense rendering him distracted and vulnerable ripping even his web shooters from him having spider-man in his grasp he says you're just like the sheep spider-man you do not understand everything is technology our language our words all intellect driven inventions making order out of chaos the most telling of these technologies is morality spider-man a device constructed to spur our race to greater things the compass by which all actions and advances are judged surely in the age of the atom we are due for an innovation your body gives way just as your pedestrian values will yield to a greater truth and your human sentimentalism will be crushed in the wheels of progress Ox got bars, man. That was some powerful shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of that was killer. Those were some bars for sure. But then Peter ends him so simply. Oh, my God. Yeah. 15 minutes, Doc. <laughs> 15 minutes and a $5 chemistry set. That's all it took. Yeah. Damn. Oh, my God. Otto is bragging about how clever he is and how even Spider-Man is victim to evolution. When through the pain of being held in Ox arms, he says, 15 minutes with a $5 chemistry set. That's all it took. And he unleashes a chemical substance that fuses two of Doc's arms together, damaging him and knocking him out. Peter starts punching Otto, and he sees his father and every bully in him. He cowers like a child, saying, please not to hurt his glasses. There will be such trouble if he does. Defeated and in custody, he says to Spider-Man, it does not feel right, does it? To stand before each other, stripped of our inventions, naked in our humanity. We are hideous, are we not? He asks Spider-Man. No, no, we're not, replies Spidey. From prison, Ock writes a letter to his mother, his dead mother, saying she'd be impressed by the man he's become. His mechanical arms draw a version of Spider-Man on the wall in the Vitruvian man pose. He tells his mother about his new obsession, one that will last a lifetime. So good. (laughs) (laughs) So good. I love this issue so much. I might not have hit on it hard enough in issue two or three. Whenever Otto's mom comes back from the date, and he just like starts yelling at her like all the fucking frankly heinous shit she said to him just because he was drawing a picture of someone he was interested in um when she comes back he like unleashes on her says all excuse me sorry uh says all the things to her that she said to him and uh she dies and like they said that it was a heart attack that killed her but like there was clearly signs of a struggle and so they they blame Otto for that rightfully and then after that was like his his incident at the demonstration where he was like fused uh with his arm so i might have glossed over that a little too quickly but dude that was issue five what a fucking banger way to to round that series out uh thoughts on issue five thoughts on the series as a whole okay i mean thoughts on issue five i think this issue just sticks the landing and then some i mean that interaction between peter and otto at the end there it's what makes the whole series for me like that line we are hideous are we not and peter just going no we're not like 
Oh, it's so pitch <laughs> It tells you everything you need to know about Peter and Otto and the differences between them. Um, and I could go on and on about it. Um, but touching on uh, a little bit of like a wider picture thing, because you brought up the mom and um, we hadn't talked about her very much. But but the mom, uh, again, is there's a lot going on there because, number one, it kind of draws a parallel between like Aunt May you know, uh, in the first issue, Otto loses his father figure, stays with his overbearing mother figure. Uh, you know, Aunt May used to always nag Peter at the, like similarly. Um, so there's that parallel between Peter and Otto there. But also uh, her dying of like a heart attack and everything uh, that actually uh, also is mentioned in this really old comic uh, from the 90s. And uh this is what I was, uh, I think before we started the podcast, I was telling you like, oh, I, I just realized something. And it's that there's this issue called uh, Spider-Man Unlimited number three. It's not on Marvel Unlimited. Uh, I think it's from the 90s. It's written by Tom DeFalco, illustrated by Ron Lim. And that story. The, the, those are some very 90s names you just said. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um and um, so it, that issue actually delves into uh, Otto's origin as well. And it features his abusive father, Tobert. And it also shows you his mom's heart attack. And it also shows the story of a woman named Mary Alice, who Otto seemed to care about. Um, and that story largely takes place in the present day. And it's about Otto trying to... Uh, cure AIDS because Mary Alice got that. Um, so that's that story. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I just wanted to bring it up because it's obviously like a precursor to this, right? Oh, so Zeb Wells is a hat. He just, he just, <laughs> he just cribbed Tom DeFalco. Noted well, spider girl creator, Tom DeFalco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not going to say Zeb is a hack, but I think. Been, oh, I'm not either. That was such a fucking joke. Just please. Zeb, I know you're listening. Please come on the show. <laughs> I swear that was a joke. Uh, no, it's because I did the same thing on the last podcast where we talked about the other. And then at the end, I was like, well, Paul Jenkins did something very similar like a year before. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I felt like being I, I kind of felt like doing the same thing this time and <laughs> being like <laughs> 60 years of Spider-Man history. Like a lot of it, it builds from the other. Right. Um so not to diminish year one at all, because I still think it's a masterpiece. And I think if I had to recommend anyone a Dr. Or a Dr. Octopus origin, it would be this one. Mm -hmm. um, but just wanted to shout out the history. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, but back to issue five. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's awesome. Obviously, Spidey beating Otto with the chemicals is right out of Amazing Spider-Man number three. Um, however, differences here being that in this issue, in year one, they fight outdoors, and Spidey has the chemicals prepped as soon as he gets there. Oh, yeah, he's got, like, a Chewbacca belt, like, around his neck, right, with, like, all these different uh, test tubes full of the chemicals. Yeah, he's got the backpack ready, versus in Amazing Spider-Man 3, he, like, puts it together on the spot in the lab when they fight indoors so big difference oh, i'm sorry that that's what i was referring to where, where he had like the like the bandolier like around him with like test tubes like oh. they were they were they were like stacked like grenades almost yeah. right like like the way they were yeah 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 you're right yes 100 percent. so in amazing spider-man 3 he has those wrapped around and in year one he just has the backpack yeah uh so big difference there a little bit of a difference with the spider tracer but um 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, other than the ultimate like analysis of the Vitruvian Man and Otto and Peter, I think that's all I have to say. What, what about you? The one thing I don't like about this story, and I feel like I was a little harsh, like talking about Zeb Wells, like I said, like great dialogue. I, I do think like parts of the book were a little slow, but granted, I've had a pretty fucking chaotic week and I was reading this comic late. So like maybe it's not even slow, like maybe it was just me. Like I, I don't want to put all this on Zeb Wells because I do think he's obviously a very talented person. But the one thing that uh, he, he did in this book that I don't like is uh, the moment where Peter's trying to argue to like go fight Doc Ock. Like, I don't like that there's a part of the story that Otto is not present for. Because, like, everything else is from his perspective. And, like, with Spider-Man's first entrance, like, it, it's like a villain, right? Like, it, like Spider-Man is very clearly portrayed as the the problem element to Otto's story, right? Like, he comes crashing through like a, like a fucking murderer, right? And so having that moment from Peter's perspective, I think was weird. Like, it... I get why it was there just to like make the storytelling more clear, but like, I wish it had just been Peter appearing and not having that moment. And that's like such a small complaint, right? Like if, if a comic is, if, if the biggest complaint is like two panels of a five issue miniseries, and that's a pretty good miniseries, right? But just that shift in perspective, making it Peter's story for two panels, I found a little off-putting just because like everything else is very much from Otto's perspective from his point of view and I generally have a problem with these stories where it's like you're made to empathize with the villains because it's kind of like did you ever read that Batman story the the, the killing joke I have read it uh but uh it's been a while you know all right. So in that story, Joker basically tries to fuck up Commissioner Gordon's life. And he like does all these terrible things, especially to his daughter, Barbara Gordon. And he, he's trying to prove that like every person is one bad day away from being the Joker. Like that's his entire point. And so with stories like these, I think they always tread like a really precarious position where they're trying to be like, hey, you'd be fucked up, too, if you had a dad named Torbert who'd belt your ass you know anytime like someone else assaulted you and broke your glasses right like I, I think that's like kind of a dangerous needle to thread but for the most part I think Zeb and Kari and and Jose via Rubia who fucking killed it on the colors uh for the most part I think they threaded the needle like I think they did I think they stuck the landing uh but just that that one two panel sequence where it is from Peter's perspective is just like the one thing that I found a little jarring but besides that, dude, like this made me like Doc Ock a lot more. I love the way Kari Andrews drew him, like really like infantilizing him in a lot of scenes just to show like this person. Like I feel like so many high schoolers, like not now because no one reads anymore, but like so many high schoolers like in the 60s and 70s were just like, yeah, fucking Ayn Rand is fucking awesome. And it's like, yeah, that's <laughs> the idea you're supposed to have when you're 15 and then you fucking grow up and then you leave that person behind. Uh, but the way that like Otto is drawn like a child and like has these ideas that like he really can't suppress even into adulthood. He's still enraptured by this idea of the future he had as a kid and to have him be like so stoic and uh, domineering in some scenes, but then just have him like retreat and have like such narrow shoulders in the next panel because like at his heart, like he stopped having new ideas when he was a kid, right? Like not about science or technology, but I guess just like about the way the world works. 
And so just like having that juxtaposition, I think is really fascinating and done really well, especially by Kari and presented well by, by Zeb. I like, I like how you put that. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a great uh, point to bounce off of and talk about, I guess, like the ultimate message of the story and everything. Uh, because I like, I really like that, how you said about like, he stopped having new ideas as a kid. I think he's, I think the, the way I would follow that up is he stopped having, I, I like, he stopped changing his mind about people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think from then on, he just saw or tried to find like a version of his father and everyone. Um, and I think issue two and or sorry no issue one and that scene with the priest i think that is like a key scene because there the priest tells him that uh uh none of us are perfect Otto. that is the lord's beauty that he sees in us the good that was meant to be he sees the beauty of his own son and Otto's just like no my dad sucked and like uh he just taught me that everyone who's lower class or whatever sucks too like whatever right yeah um and I think in that final scene with Peter, where he asks, like, we're hideous, are we not? Peter says, no, we're not. I think that shows you that that key fundamental difference between Peter and Otto is that Otto sees the worst in people or he tries to find it, maybe. Whereas Peter, Peter tries see, to see, see the best. Oh, fucking beautiful, Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> and And you see that in issue one, too. Like, you pointed it out that even back then, Otto's like... They can be such hideous monkeys, right? And and Peter's like, uh, I guess, like, like, yeah, he's just like, that's a weird fucking thing to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like seeing it, see, you know, thinking about it that way, and thinking about like the parallels that the story draws, where it's like, you know, Peter's uncle Ben died. This guy's abusive father died. He had his aunt May. Otto had his overbearing mom. They were both bullied in school. They were both nerds. They both have these huge glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're both cyborgs, but ultimately they just see the world differently. Um, I think that's a really good message, uh, and it's it's a really good, uh, you know, kind of moral, like a more like a fable about like you know trying to see the best. Uh, which is, which is amazing given Otto's talking about morality, right? Yeah, <laughs> given that quote and how he thinks that that is just like another piece of technology used to like hinder progress right but like the fact that it is ultimately this moral that i i guess peter's trying to impart right like in, in the end when he says we're not hideous right like I, I guess that's not really a moral as much as just like again fucking bars but uh oh god everything about the story just tied together really well i was really impressed with this and also like it's kind of sad i like don't have this trade paperback on my shelf <laughs> to, to be honest this this seems like a good one yeah, I just have it in floppies, uh, and I got them very recently at a local comic book store. Uh, I I should get a maybe a trade because um, it's really good. I, I I really love this story. Um, I've I've loved Kari Andrews for a long time. That Spider Man Rain story I mentioned uh, that we we've both read because of course you've read it. Uh, that was <laughs> that was my first exposure to to Andrews' work, and then he did like an Immortal Iron Fist book in like 2013, 2014. That's when I actually interviewed him. And the dude was just fucking fascinating and just has such a cool take <laughs> on things. Uh, so I regret not having more Kari Andrews Spider-Man on my shelves. And Carlos, you, you knocked it out of the park again, man. Another stellar recommendation. Uh, 
I think I talked about you. Like the only thing I didn't like about the last Spider-Man issue you recommended me was just like the perspective they had when they were talking about uh, left field. I was like, well, you're in right field. Like, I think that was like literally my only complaint. I was like, fucking Brits don't know anything. Like, well, you think this is cricket? Yeah, uh, that, that was my only only issue with Paul Jenkins script. But um, Carlos, thank you so much for coming to Shortbox Summary. Thank you so much for introducing me to this series, which I think is fantastic. And um, man, I'll have you back for the Spider-Man Two podcast. I think, I think we got to at this point. That'd be cool, <laughs> <laughs> Carlos. Do you want people to find you on social media? Uh yeah, you can find me at at Carlos Loves SM on Twitter. Carlos Loves Spider Man, uh, and uh, you can find Year One at your local comic store. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, maybe not your local comic store. Maybe maybe your local eBay URL yeah. might be might be a better place to, to find it. eBay or Amazon would be better. And then keep your eyes out in May for the reunion of this creative team uh, in Amazing Spider-Man twenty five and twenty six. And uh, yeah, yeah. I almost want to record a bonus pod with you because. Is 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 Doc Ock? Is he the most important Spider-Man villain of the of the last like fifteen years? Well, you know, I I kind of we can talk about it if you want because I was gonna say originally that I think Year One, along with Superior Spider-Man, and along with the fact that Doc Ock like created the Sinister Six, I mean, these are very strong cases for him being the number one uh, Spidey arch enemy. But of course course i mean green goblin killed gwen stacy like you just like that is such uh a- accomplishment no <laughs> but, like, <laughs> that's such a like i don't know feat to for goblin mm-hmm. to have. and just the relationship between peter and norman and harry i mean goblin is hard to top um but i think the parallels with otto and peter are so strong uh, and he's just such a visually dynamic villain also with the arms. Yeah, because, I mean, well, that and, like, also, you know what else has eight legs? Fucking spiders, not just octopuses, you know? And, like, he is, like, worst-case scenario Peter, right? Yeah, but then there's also that side where you kind of feel for him sometimes, or he has these moments where he can be a little heroic, you know? Um, and I think, you know, Superior Spider-Man uh and shows all of that uh i actually think this story like i feel like you can go from year one straight to like amazing spider-man 600 and then superior after that and kind of get a really good like dr octopus trilogy of of seeing like the radiation how it affects him how the years get to him and then how he wants to go out doing something that, that lasts you know be that da vinci be remembered um and uh yeah, I mean, Doc Ock is up there for sure. For sure. Is he the most important of the past couple decades? I mean, I would say probably because of Superior. But again, I mean, then Green Goblin has the Red Goblin. He got the Carnage. And then there's Kindred, which is a newer character who, you know, was a big deal during the Spencer run. And then, I mean, there's always there's always somebody messing up Peter's life. <laughs> <laughs> there sure is um carlos said you can find him at carlos loves sm on twitter you can find this podcast at purplebird 616 also on twitter and uh yeah uh like i said i had a weird week last week with some 
some family health stuff. Uh, I hope that is behind me. We'll see. Uh, fingers crossed. But uh, for the next few weeks, at least, it looks like it's going to be smooth sailing. Get new new episode every week. And uh, Carlos, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate you uh, bringing this story to my attention. Really appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. Always a pleasure to have you on. And fuck, man, we're doing a House of M soon. Gonna have to talk about that. And then um, it's pretty fast from there into Civil War. And you know who has like a pretty big Civil War prelude? Our guy, Peter. That's true. That's true. And I think Civil I think War. Tony commits at least one crime in that book. I would love to talk about <laughs> it with you. <laughs> That's a pretty big storyline for our guy, for sure. So that could be very cool. For now, though, I'm just glad to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we could shine a light on this little hidden gem. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I look forward to talking more Spidey with you. Thank you very much, Carlos. Appreciate it. And we will be back next week. Thank you for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye.